Hi again, everybody. Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD Studios. This is The Chatter. Janet Wagner's with me along with Colleen Pasnack. And we're going to get ready to get uh, started today with prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Our Lady, do not despise our petitions. What a week we've had. Oh, it's been amazing. Amazing here. What do you got in the headlines here? I have lots of headlines, like a page full, so bear with me. <laughs> um, a lot of it had to do with uh, Pope Francis's um, Latin Mass motto proprio. Um, multiple headlines there. Um, another one that's totally off the the headline for the the common person but i think it's important to note is lake mead is having a huge water shortage and i'm wondering how that fits into to our world's you know with the droughts going on there's excessive heat up north in the western states up into canada so for all those um who are geographically um challenged challenged, (laughs) uh, where's lake mead Lake Mead is uh, over by the Grand Canyon. Like, let's see. No, that's a good question. Uh, Didn't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, I'm on the spot. Um, it's over by Las Vegas. It's, oh, is that it's, what the Hoover Dam? It's the Hoover Dam. Oh, okay. It's what feeds all the energy to the Western states. And, and um, you know, they might not have enough water to uh, to make it. That's the concern. Or at least that's what a headline says. Mm-hmm. Another headline out there is Cubans Revolt. Um, major flooding in Europe. Germany specifically. Germany specifically. Um, COVID's starting to surge again. and then, So they say. Yeah, so they say. And then riddled throughout all of these headlines ever since, was it Friday, that the Moto Proprio came out with Pope Francis on basically wanting to suppress the Latin Mass? Um, What's that translation? What's the, the... So I was listening to two very smart priests this weekend, and they said the Latin name of the Francis's document is Traditionis, and so that translates to tradition, guardians of the tradition. But they mm-hmm. said there's another definition of traditionis, and it means betrayal. Oh, interesting. I didn't because know the idea of handing on, tradition you hand on, but it can also be hand over, like to betray. I thought that was an interesting. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's still some headlines about what's going to happen with Father Altman. Um, one of the headlines was about, is he going to join maybe a SSPX order or something like that? Um, so that's that's what struck me this week. How about you guys? Yeah, that's uh, a lot of what I'm seeing. I, I think you could go in another direction, uh, but I mean, that, that hits the heart of the matter with what's going on. Yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of bad news everywhere. Drought in one part of the world flooding in another part of the world you kind of wonder if god's ticked at us or something sure makes you wonder well according to his mother he hasn't been very happy for a couple of centuries here right stop offending my son he is already much offended that was uh 
Fatima, correct? Was that Fatima? Or Lourdes. Fatima. Or Gar- La Salette. Garbandel. Yeah. Do you remember the vision at La Salette? Happened in like 1870. Okay, so do you know the two things that Mary was crying over? She was sitting and crying in her hands. The two things that she was upset about. First of all, the um, people were working on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's gotten better, hasn't it? <laughs> and then the second thing was uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Well, we ran an article on that um, in the in the Bellowing Ox. This is a plug for the Bellowing Ox, by the way, if you're not getting the, the uh, award-winning newsletter. I had, a, I had a note about that here the other day because uh, we're advertising to sign up for the Bellowing Ox on FM 98.3 KCRD, and the, uh, the gentleman kindly says, you call it a bi-monthly newsletter and say it's six times a year. And I said, yes. And he said, well, that's ambiguous. Bi-monthly can be twice a month. I said, no, that's semi-monthly. And he said, well, but it could be bi-monthly. And I said, well, why was, when, when was the bicentennial of the United States? And I'm not sure he was born in 1976, um, but I remind. Other, otherwise, uh, the bicentennial would have been 1836 um, or something, something like that. Like Is that, that. 50 yeah. years? Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, it's from listening to Father Simon, but um, we ran the article about the first three commandments and the sins against them: idolatry, blasphemy and the profanation of holy things and holy days. And you're saying that La Salette uh, was idolatry, blasphemy, and that was in 1870 or somewhere around then. And I'm thinking, holy cow. You know, can you imagine what what Our Lady would say if she appeared today about those two sins? Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. Because they have gotten better, haven't they? Oh, my gosh. You know, and related to your other topic about COVID, you know, some sometimes I'm going to tie these two together, working on Sunday and COVID. You know, I don't think everything bad has resulted from COVID. For example, I think canceling a lot of meetings was a good thing. I think people are just too Amen. busy. I agree with that. But second of all, do we really need to have everything available to us 24-7 at our fingertips? You know what? Maybe after COVID, things just need to be closed on Sundays. That would be a great Maybe, thing. right? Maybe let's go back to, okay, shortage of staffing, uh, shortage of workers. Okay, we're just going to be closed on Sunday. We're going to just reduce our workforce. That might be okay, right? Or it might be okay to not have third shift, <laughs> right? Let people eat up with their families at night. So I'm going to tie those two things together, COVID and how our world has changed in the past year and a half and keeping holy the Sabbath and maybe some of the changes that have happened could be be worked for the better um, to try to um, keep the commandments in a better way. So in other words, there's a silver lining in your cloud. There is a silver lining in my COVID cloud. (laughs) One of my favorite movies, and I'm not a a musical guy, but uh, my wife is, but uh, The Fiddler on the Roof. And I can remember the, uh, uh, the, the wife, and I can't recall her name. It'll come to me here. Tevia, Tevia, get that milk cow put away sabbath is coming here that culture was such that on sundown which at friday uh, you got your work done and you had the meals in the house prepared from sundown which was sabbath uh, until sundown the next night you you didn't uh, and we ought not to be 
<laughs> we don't have to go to Target after Mass on yes. Sunday. Right? We don't have to. Now, when we lived in North Carolina in the late 80s, so late 80s, I'd call that modern day era, um, the main, uh, what do you call it, anchor store at the mall, Belk, closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You might go to the mall, but the biggest department store there was closed on Sunday. Wouldn't that be awesome? I think yeah. it would be. But take a look who's closed here locally. All the Catholic stores. Uh, Fairway. Fairway, Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A. Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A. And none of them are, are Catholic, I think. Uh, no, but I think they're Christian-based. Yeah, they are. I know Hobby Lobby is, and I know Chick-fil-A is. What was the other one? Not sure about Fairway. Fairway, I thought. Now, I could be... Maybe some of the Fairwayans will uh, tell us, but I thought they were a Iowa-based company, north north central Iowa. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so my point is, you know, if we're going to restrict some things because of COVID, well, let's restrict things being open on Sunday. But doesn't the old that, blue laws? Yeah, the old blue laws. Doesn't that shape culture? It absolutely does shape culture, and if God thinks we need a day off, then I think we need a day off. And what do we do with that day off? Well, it depends if the Packers are playing. Yeah, <laughs> or if my kids need to be driven around or out of town for sports or whatever they have going on. I'm not sure sports and such are all that bad if it's family-centered. It's when you are on the traveling teams and you don't, you, you've got all of your reservations and if you don't have a reservation with God at Sunday Mass, I mean, there's a Mass in, in every city where there's a traveling ball tournament here, if that doesn't come first. That's a good sunrise. point. And if you can't tell the tournament director to schedule the team after Mass. Right, or after 12 o'clock. Let's keep at least Sunday morning mm-hmm. so that we can get to church and be with family. And then I agree, you know, as long as the sports does not become the God, the idol, the drop everything and rearrange your whole life over that. I don't think there's anything wrong with a pickup game or watching the Packers together or I don't think there's anything r- disordered about that. It's, a, it's how you relax. It's how you have fun with your, with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are all good things. It's, it's just a matter of how we prioritize and what do we give to God. But Sunday is special. Sunday is special, meant for the Lord, um, and and he should have priority that day. I did see um, someone said, you know, well, can I work on Sunday? Well, some things have to be done on Sunday, right? Sometimes you just have to make a meal on Sunday. We don't want to be as scrupulous as the old um, Jewish laws that said you could not even lift up your keys because that was a burden, right? We don't want to go to that extreme either. Um, Well, there's certain occupations which... uh are required in a service there uh, are medical mm-hmm. nursing fire police yeah, th- yeah. Those... convenience stores yeah you got to fill up your gas you got to have a snack you know well uh, yeah yeah uh, especially if you're traveling for right. example but uh, uh i mean if sunday's the day that you get your weekly tank of gas you might consider uh, doing something else but if you are traveling i think it's that that uh intentionality have we set across uh well, where does the whole concept of, of resting on Sunday come from? Well, I'd have to say back in Genesis. And scripture. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Because he was tired? Cut, right, because God doesn't get tired, right? But as a model for us, as an example for us, you work and then you take a day of rest. 
Uh, and then that's when you put him first, especially if you can't get to mass during the week. For sure on Sunday is, uh, you know, that's our obligation. So the rest is for us, not for God. Correct. The rest is for us. We need the rest. Where is it written? Is it uh, in wisdom or the Psalms or both that says the wicked shall not rest, find rest? Well, I don't know, but that makes me think of headstones, rest in peace, Mm -hmm. right? And the wicked shall not rest if... Right, right. So the rest is union with with God, Mm -hmm. doing all of that. It's also a way to recharge. I mean, when you rest with the Lord, it helps to order your life, gets your week coming up in order, helps you to think, clear out your cobwebs from your brain. It also is an opportunity to... Really spend time with your family, especially if you're um, parents with kids, you know, to spend time with them or an opportunity to go to the nursing home and visit your loved ones there if they're there. Um, it's a time to just just be. And that that's leisure. That's kind of the definition of leisure. It doesn't mean that you fill your whole time with a bunch of activities necessarily, but just resting, yeah. you know, just in whatever you're doing and resting with those whom God has put in your life. Very good. And I, I would like to make a challenge to all our listeners that from from this moment forward, they try to rest on Sunday. They don't need to sweep the kitchen, uh, do the grocery shopping. I'm going to challenge all our listeners to make Sunday a day for God and family and rest. I like that challenge. It's also we need to remember that it's Sunday Mass and the dispensation's been removed, so it's a mortal sin if people aren't going to Mass on Sunday. So I would just encourage people to get back in the habit. And then also, it's a feast day. Why? It's the day that the Lord rose. As Catholics, we believe that. That's every Sunday is Easter. And in a celebration, you know, and I heard this through some of the different bloggers, it's a time to break out the barbecue. Pop open that beer or a glass of wine or a new drink you want to try, celebrate with your friends and your family. Have a barbecue in the backyard. Do a picnic. You know, go do something as a family to celebrate the Feast of Our Lord. Speaking of feast and and, uh, fast, I've seen a lot of guys, and maybe some girls, recently begin fasting from social media, the Internet, and their phones on on Sunday. Now, the phone's to the extent of, I'm going to answer your phone call, but I don't have to be checking Facebook um, what the latest trends are and twits and all of that going on. Love it. I love it. I mean, the the world's not going to uh, go away in in a 24-hour period on Sunday. It's not. I love it. That's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming up on break time here. This is The Chatter. We've got Colleen Pasnick, Janet Wagner, I'm Tom Oglesby in the FM 98.3 KCRD Studios. This is The Chatter. We'll be back after these announcements from our lovely sponsors. We are back. This is The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. Janet Wagner in the studio with me. I'm Tom Oglesby, and we've got Colleen Pasnick here. And uh, what's what's uh, locked and loaded next here, Janet? Well, news with the church. There's really some st- disturbing news. I think we shared um, a little bit about it last week, but it's with the lawsuit involving the seminarian who left North American College, which is where a lot of our seminarians used to go for mm-hmm for uh, discernment and for study. 
to become a priest. And the case is also involving Cardinal Dolan, who's been exposed as part of the cover-up and knowledge of some of the incredible disturbing things that went on there. So these these are um, more than allegations. These are, are uh, documented information in a, in a spotlight yes. article here, spotlight referring back to 2002 era in... Uh, with the spotlight on the diocese in Boston, now we're talking about the the, the uh, New York Archdiocese and North American College and all the staff that are connected to that. and And I think it's just something to watch and for Catholics just to be aware of. and And the biggest reason is is you know a lot of people will say you know that's New York, it's not in my backyard, but it is because sin affects all of us, and we really really need to know um, and educate ourselves about some of these larger topics that maybe are a distance from us, but we all know people who've been impacted by cover-up or by sexual abuse um, in in our own diocese over the years. We, we know people that have gone down that path, and it's so unfortunate. And so, for, so one of the things that we can do is always pray and fast and almsgive um, for these circumstances and these situations, but also for justice, justice for the victims whose lives have been totally altered, ruined. Maybe we need to introduce the uh, concept here because, Colleen, I think a lot of people would like to uh, forget this sword story going back to the spotlight of the Boston Archdiocese. Almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years, 19 years now. In the summer of shame. Summer of shame. Um, We... 2018. Isn't this all done? It's all in the past and it didn't happen here. Yeah, you know, I don't know if people are tired of hearing about it or not, but it's still going on. That's kind of the the news. It's not just in the past. Um, It's still going on. And I don't think we ever really got the McCarrick report um, from, you know, 2018. And then the bishops talked about it in 2019 and Rome told them, oh, no, hold on. We're looking into it. And then it went down the rabbit hole, and you've never heard anything. I think one of the things is that for these cases and for this stuff, it, be, it really touches home for a lot of people, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that's the truth. Um, but piggybacking on the McCary case, there's been no public repentance. There's been no amendment of behavior, especially out of our bishops. And, and it also seems that we're living in a culture right now where everything that goes against um, Catholic Church teaching is fine. You know, the Father Jimmy Martins of the world, he can push his agenda on the LGBTQ, yet Father Altman gets canceled for preaching the truth. And I think that's that's the connection to the local Catholic is, how do I know what's truth and how do I know who to trust? But here's the bigger connection. Isn't this the bigger connection, just what you said here? If we can ignore... And the McCarrick report got buried by time. If you kick the can down the road long enough, people begin to forget. But then when you you, um, have a coronation for Father uh, Jim Martin, and I won't say if it's a king or a queen, but it's a coronation of him, and then you you see a cancellation of of Altman, of... uh, Perone, of Parker, of now what Liz Jor, who will be coming to Dubuque, by the way. Liz Jor will be in Dubuque Wednesday, 
September 22nd with Father James Altman here. Um, when, when you get these uh, coming in here, it's affecting the average Catholic in the pew because the average Catholic's no longer in the pew. How many people do you know who have left the church because of the church covering this up, because of the church denying this? And you would, be, you, you would come to believe that the 19-year-old Boston Spotlight story is now ancient history and we we now have spotlight two or three in New York and the Cardinal Archbishop is implicated with audio tape with videotape and it's gone public now in the last days this isn't this how it affects Catholics and isn't this why this cannot be viewed as a way of of tearing down the church but rather trying to build the church up because the church is hemorrhaging souls isn't that the real issue here i i really think you're onto something there tom i i think i would also add to that if you get into deep intimate conversations of why people left the faith a lot of it um over over the years and different experiences has been about marriage it was either that person's own marriage where they got so fed up with the priest, they said, I'm done being Catholic. And a lot of it was, at that time, was a lot of miscommunication, ignorance of the faith, um, whatever it might be. Right now, with all the abuse that's going on, that's another huge reason people left the church. But on the early part of that, everybody was presuming that it was heterosexual abuse. And that's not the case. It's, no. it's homosexual abuse and prepubescent boys. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with this? And so another reason people have left the church be, um, on a big level, and I think this might resonate more with men, is the effeminacy. Where's the formation? What's going on in our seminaries? And I think that also is something that needs to be talked about. Well, let's just clarify for everybody, the report that you're referring to is the John Jay report that found that 80% of the sexual abuse was male on male, post-pubescent, that Correct. means it was not children, it was sexually mature adults, adults, young men, young men in seminary. altar boys and seminarians. And in fact, on the heels of the um, spotlight in the Archdiocese of, of uh, Detroit, there just broke uh, we'll see when this show airs, but uh, let's just say in mid-July, the spotlight broke on the number of seminarians. We hear often they have discerned out of priestly formation, and the reality of it is is they're being chased like meat by homosexuals in the seminaries. Yeah, and that's, you know, even sitting here discussing this, that is almost such a sensational headline. It's it's hard for me to even get my head wrapped around it. And and the thing is, is that it's different for the person who legitimately struggles with same-sex attraction. This, this conversation is not necessarily about that person. It, it's just not. It's about the dysfunction 
of a passion that is being it's such a gross abuse and it's amongst it's it's throughout our whole church and that's what i want the local person in the pew to understand is what do we need to do to change this and we really really have to focus on prayer and fasting and almsgiving and there is no diocese or archdiocese that is immune immune from this kind of behavior not at all and i think we all know guys that have discerned out like you've said um because they saw the activity that was there and they wanted no part of it but the gatekeepers um pretty much said oh you'll be a part of that at least that environment if not that behavior that environment or you won't be a priest so why you know i've got a couple of questions here and this is just for discussion just to open up our minds a little bit why why would somebody in leadership want to cover that up you know, in this case, I don't know if it was covering it up or if they wanted to break down any sense of decency or right and wrong um, that certain people had, you know, the ones that are too rigid. Well, and I know like, you know, there's a, there is a breaking down that happens when you enter religious life. There is a breaking down that happens when you're a seminarian, but that breaking down in my understanding is, is supposed to help you, um, get rid of the ways of the world and focus on Christ. Mm -hmm. But the, but the problem is, is that this breaking down is becoming abusive in the sense that they're, they're breaking down these young men to such a degree where their, their personhood is at stake. Because There's a difference between breaking down self-centered egotism and giving one's life to Christ and being broken down so as to uh, accept immorality, sexual immorality in particular. Those are two separate issues. They are two separate yeah. issues. But, you know, you go join the Marines, they break you down right. to reshape you in their image. So it makes me wonder if that's what happens in seminary. You're broken down. So that you're reshaped in the image that's more accepting of same-sex behavior. Um, you're not going to then say anything from the pulpit. You know, is there a breaking down of traditional morality so that when you become a priest, you let those um, those immoral behaviors slide? Well, I think it's a little bit more seductive. I think there's a breaking down because on some level, whether it's, a job or your your I always tell my nieces and nephews you're going to be a freshman more than once in your life. There's hmm. always going to be a breaking down, okay? Whether it's a new job or you enter religious life, it's a new community, you're following a new rule or you're seminarian, so now you're going to be following um the direction of going into being a priest. And so there has to be a breaking down. There has to be a breaking down of the ego like you said, Tom. Um and that's healthy. There is a health in that so that you can get on track and perform the best job that you can do, be the best priest that you can be, and be the best religious that you can be. The problem is, is that Satan enters, and there's a seduction in there for the person who's getting a power trip off of it, um, whether that's the, the abbot, the abbess, the, um, you know, the rector, the priest formator, whoever it might be, the bishop, in these cases, because power... The, overcomes them and they just desire this and it's and it's so dysfunctional yeah but the interviews with the seminarians are are more sordid than that when they refer to the seminaries as uh, uh, 
gay bathhouses and the Pink Palace. This, this is not a breaking down of ego in order to be in persona Christi as a priest so as to deliver his sacraments and lead the body of Christ. These are two distinct issues. But one's being used for the other. But at the same psychological method being used, a yeah. breaking down There's a so that you can rebuild. Sure, I agree. One is in a moral breaking down for immoral purposes, and the other is more uh, to get rid of the selfishness, the pride, the self-centered. But it's still the same psychological pro- break them down so that we we rebuild them how we want to. Well, and I think another thing is vulnerability. When you enter religious life or when you enter the priesthood and you enter seminary, you become so vulnerable. And you're turning over yourself to Christ. The whole time you're turning yourself over to Christ. And so that vulnerability is created and for and a lot of people are taken advantage well, yeah, of. Well, it's poverty, chastity, obedience that you're... Uh professing at least in a religious order we've got about three or four minutes left here we got to bring this back though because what we're discussing has practical implications and for generations the uh the rosary crew has been praying for an increase in vocations to the priesthood it don't look like we've got a drought you talked about the drought out at lake mead here don't look like we got a drought in the Uh, Certainly, let's just speak to the American seminaries here. If we're turning out great young men who are orthodox, who are true to devotion, the magisterium, and they are being labeled as rigid, they need to be uh, interviewed out. Um, Their spiritual directors, if they are admitted, uh, discern them out. If they make the priesthood, they're canceled. They're not reassigned. Doesn't look like the magnitude of the vocation crisis is quite what we were led to believe. I would agree with that. You know, I don't. We were talking about it a couple of shows ago. After discerning some of this information in these headlines, we realized: is there really a priest shortage? Is there really a priest shortage, or have some good, solid guys been kept out because they were good and solid? which is a perfect segue to our next segment where we're going to talk about the Pope's latest document um, regarding the Latin Mass. And I think he sees that the younger guys want the tradition, and he wants to head that off at the pass. We're going to be right back here on The Chatter at FM 98.3 KCRD. This is Janet Wagner, Colleen Pasnick. I'm Tom Oglesby. This is The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. I'm Tom Oglesby with Janet Wagner and Colleen Pasnick. And uh, where did we leave off here? We, we had a big uh, softball teed up as we're leaving. We did have a big softball teed up. We were talking about some of the young men who felt they might have a vocation and were discerning the priesthood, um, but maybe were kept out or kicked out because they were more traditional or more conservative. Mm-hmm. And we thought that might be a nice lead-in to this section where we will talk about the Pope's latest motu proprio, 
By the um, way, just before we get into Moto, your opening statement about some priests that might have been going to that that's not speculation. Correct. That's that, not speculation. That's firsthand interviewing yes. of young men who have thought they had a vocation to the priesthood and got there and it wasn't what they thought of in terms of theology, but of environment and decor, shall we say. Right, right, So exactly. So you're not just out here speculating. No, no, that's based on firsthand knowledge. Well, secondhand knowledge. Someone, yeah, a couple people told me about their experiences. So... Um, back to Moto. Back to Moto. So the Pope, if you haven't heard, on Friday, July 16th, issued a document ironically called Guardians of Tradition, um, where he basically is um, attempting to suppress the traditional Latin Mass. Now, maybe some of our listeners don't really care about the traditional Latin Mass, and I would guess that some of our listeners go, what are you talking about? The Mass is just the Mass. It's been like that since the Apostles' Day. So um, that's not the case. So from about, I don't know what, the 700 or so through 1970 the mass was said in latin ad orientum which means the priest was facing the same way as the people um you know all that tradition was there the the gestures the prayers the all that was there um before it was stripped away in many senses for what we call the novus ordo which is what everybody is familiar with it's what's said in every parish in dubuque is the novus ordo but there are some people that prefer the traditional Latin Mass. They fi- find that it feeds their spirit. They find it more reverent. They love the silence. They're gravitating to it. And it seems like these people are uh, married and having lots of kids. And so it's not the little old lady that has some nostalgic, fond memories of the Latin Mass when she was growing up. These are, by and large, people that had no idea of the Latin Mass uh, from their childhood, but were introduced to it as adults and find that it really feeds their soul um, and is very reverent and, and, like I said. So it's families with a number of children, but also these families are producing vocations to the priesthood. A number of their sons are seminarians, yes? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So one of the big concerns about Francis's uh, document that he issued on Friday, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, um, was he put a lot of restrictions on saying the Latin Mass. So, for example, one of these restrictions is anyone who is ordained after July 16th of this year must receive permission from his bishop to say the Latin Mass, but the bishop also has to get permission from Rome for him to say it. Now, to my knowledge, that's never happened about any other issue. Right? I mean, the bishop is uh, the ordinary authority in his diocese. I mean, he can make those calls, right? And up until Friday, the previous Pope Benedict said a priest doesn't need his bishop's permission. Every priest has the right to say the Latin Mass. Did you see the breaking news, though, today on that issue here? The Patriarch of Hungary, which is Central Europe, has a um, apostolic letter, order, did you catch that, Janet? I did. He actually had a statement opposing Pope Francis's recent restriction on it. Because, because of the historicity of the authority of the Hungarian primate over the liturgy in his, not just diocese, but I believe 
province? Do you, do you have? Well, he went down the role of canon law from his perspective of how he how he as a bishop has authority over his diocese, and it was really really good because, um, I, I always thought every bishop had authority over their own diocese, and actually I know that to be true. Um, but the Pope is the Pope, and so in some of this stuff that's coming out, there's a lot of um, Cardinal Burke had some comments, Cardinal Mueller had some comments. I think a lot of it is is he came out, and now what they're looking at is how do we discern this? What's what really can he do, and what what are we going to do? Well, as let's popes? peel this back here for a moment because we're talking in the first person, or the <laughs> we're talking Francis here, but Pope Francis wasn't. How do I want to say this? He just didn't come up with this motu proprio. There was a survey of bishops in the recent past. Do, do we have a time? Is that three months ago or six months ago where he surveyed bishops? And was it worldwide or was it specific bishops? And the survey was about the Latin Mass, and there were a half dozen questions. What kind of problems did, did it present or, you know, what, what the feedback was. He was trying to get a, elicit a feeling and thoughts from these bishops universally or a limited number that he surveyed in advance of this. So something's going on there. Well, that's a good question because we all know about surveys and how just even the language in the survey can elicit responses in one way or the other. And I thought it was uh, sent to all the bishops of the world, but I, I could be wrong on that. And I don't know what year it was, but I'm going to say it was in the within the past two years. Mm-hmm. I think so, and I and I don't I can't confirm that either. But I know that the reason he stepped in is because of all the responses he saw come back from these bishops, which I don't necessarily know what that means. Um, you have to step in. Why? You know, that's been something that's been um, significant with this pontificate. He doesn't, he need, we want an exegesis on what he talks about, but he doesn't give it. We want explanations, but he, he doesn't, his whole pontificate has been that way on, on many things that has come out. Um, also, this motu proprium is, is no different. Um, one of the things that is interesting is, Imagine being a seminarian right now and you're getting ready to have your first Mass in Latin at your home parish that your brothers and sisters and family are going to attend. That's on hold. And and the other thing that concerns me is this is where a lot of the growth is occurring right now, especially out of COVID. I mean, you have to realize a lot of Novus Ordo parishes were shut down. Who gave the sacraments? The traditional parishes. Who didn't shut down. Who didn't shut down. Or if they did, it was for the 15 days and trying to flatten the curve and then realizing, okay, this isn't happening. We need to get the sacraments to the people. Now, that's a whole other topic, but that's where it came from. Let's bring some feedback from the listeners in here, Colleen. We've got a couple of people here. One comment is, in uh, in a series of ambiguity of Francis's statement, he was very clear on this one. He He was very clear on this one, wasn't he? And more different, yeah, he said in every different way he could. Here's another listener. With all the things going on in the church, with the Chinese, uh, I'll just just paraphrase this here, with the Chinese being suppressed uh, in China, you, you, uh, you... can't appoint your bishop, or your Rome can't appoint the uh, bishops. They're they're now communist Chinese party bishops. You can't teach the faith to Catholic children. 
We've got Catholic churches burning in France and in Canada. We've got German bishops wanting to give communion to the divorced and the remarried and to homosexual couples and to have homosexual couples blessed as though it were holy matrimony. And we've got financial scandals and sex abuse scandals. There's a lot going on in the church. And a new financial scandal here. They bought the, did you see the Vatican paid for a highway that doesn't exist? I did see that. We've heard of a bridge to nowhere. We did, yep. This is a yellow brick road that doesn't go nowhere. It doesn't even exist. It's not as though it goes and ends. It's just not there. So but the good, but what I think the point you're getting to is with all these things happening in the church, this is what yeah. Francis chooses. When first of all, what only maybe one percent of Catholics even go to the Latin Mass. You know, it's not not a lot of people go to it. Um, it's growing, but when you compare it to the Novus Ordo, so it's like, why is this even worthy of your time to um, issue restrictions and be all upset about this issue of all the issues that are out there right now? I think it's a great question. I think we really have to try and figure out why, you know, like in the terms of the culture, you know, why is he hating? Why is he hating on us? You know, why? Why do you think we're so well, that's rigid? that's some strong uh, language there. Do you really feel like he's hating on us? No, coming from the perspective of different listeners, they would feel that way. You know, but I mean, I personally don't feel that way. I just, you know, popes come and go. He's he's. Recently coming out of surgery. Um, he's a sick man. Um, well, what's Aquinas say about this? That, um, that we're bound to respect the office yes. of, of whatever it is, bishop, pope, priest, pastor. We're bound to respect the office by virtue. It is, it is God's office, not man. But if the if the man filling the office is uh, wanting uh, uh, fraternal correction and else needs to be uh, charitably administered, right? It's just, it's just hard to figure him out because you know he was uh, widely quoted toward the beginning of his pontificate when asked about um, homosexual um, people. Uh, who am I to judge? You know, that was his, just, well, he sure has come out pretty heavy on the judgment when it comes to the Latin mass crowd. The judgment falls pretty severe there. So I don't know what happened to uh, who am I to judge. Well, and then you also look at in October of 2019, they had a, a pagan idol in the Vatican Gardens, Pachamama, and not only in the Vatican Gardens. I have Gardens, only now gotten over that recently, and now you've brought... Pacamama back. Right? Not only in the Vatican Gardens where Francis was present at this ceremony they did, but then the bishops brought that idol into St. Peter's on their shoulders. That's all okay, but you better not be reverent at the Latin Mass. I don't don't understand. It gets worse than that. Did you catch? Cutting you off here, Janet. In one of the states in Mexico... Yes, I saw that. A monstrance has been crafted yeah. in the in the image and likeness of Pacamama and our blessed Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity is in the womb of this idol. Pagan, pagan idol. idol. A pagan idol. 
emphasis on pagan. And nothing is said. And nothing, nothing is done. Nothing is said. But if you want to pray in the same manner and form that our ancestors prayed in, no, no, that they, formed they, all the saints, no, you can't do that. It's St. Norbert. It's it's St. Thomas Aquinas. It's uh, St. Thomas More. It's St. Francie, Maximilian. Everybody, St. Joan of Arc, everybody who has saint prayed this mass. Yes. In this form, you know. And, and the other thing is, you know, just to just to strike out the differences of about what he's saying. Why would you come down so hard on traditional conservative Catholics that prefer the traditional Latin Mass? You know, this is the same Pope who calls these people rigid. You know that he he scolds seminarians for wanting to go down that path because you're too rigid. He also made the comment that these people have families that produce like rabbits. I'm like, seriously, who? If we're supposed to be charitable. Doesn't doesn't it go both ways? Right. His only harsh words seem to be for people who love tradition, are conservative. Um, remember when he was talking to some group of religious, and again, this was early on, and he made the comment about uh, how many rosaries had been prayed for him, and the audience kind of laughed, and he said, I know, don't laugh, but this many rosaries have been prayed for me. Uh, how, how come he only has harsh words for the traditional uh, devotional kind of Catholics. Or so it seems. You know, the other thing is, is we don't want to, we can be prudent. We don't want to be judgmental. You know, we're trying to be, maintain an air of peace here, um, you know, and not enter into sin ourselves. But it really, you know, we're here to ask these questions and just, just discuss it. And it's at the same time, he handwrites a note to Father Jimmy Martin, who is encouraging same-sex behavior and says that he's a, a priest in the image of Christ. It's just, it's hard. It gets harder every year to understand where he's coming from. Well, and, this, and it just continues. He welcomes Joe Biden, a supposed Catholic, but there's nothing said about having him be restricted from receiving communion. And then all the Hollywood celebrities that are welcomed into the Vatican with agendas that they have that are against moral and Catholic church teaching, it's it's really hard to take on some days. Yeah. So, again, we need to have respect for the office of bishop, of bishop of Rome, of, of pastor. And as Aquinas instructs us, and, and we need to, in charity, and I don't think there's anything uncharitable about just reporting the news. This, this is what we're seeing here. But we do need to pray here. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, another saint, Don Bosco, and that, that beautiful painting mural of him seeing the bark of Peter coming through the stormy waters of the harbor between the two pillars. Do you know the one I'm talking about, Colleen? Yeah, the one pillar had the Eucharist on the top of it, and the other pillar had Our Lady on the top of it. And uh, the ship was being tossed by the waves of the sea, and the people on the ship threw a line to the one pillar, and they threw a line to the other pillar, and when both lines were attached to those two pillars, all the seas calmed down. So in, the metaphor is striking, isn't it, in these times, in these turbulent times? Who do we follow? What is the truth? Uh, what's going to uh, lead us back to safe harbor? Uh, it appears to be the Eucharist and our Blessed Mother. The Immaculate Heart will triumph. Uh, there we are back back at that again here. So um, 
The other thought I had here, and I hope this doesn't sound uh, anything other than what the intention is here, but the intention is is that all of our priests are human. The Pope is infallible. He's not impeccable. What do you mean by that, Tom? Well, he's infallible that he speaks on faith and morals from the chair, uh, ex cathedra. Uh, he can he cannot preach error. Impeccable means he's a sinner like you and like me. And so uh, he he is not. I mean, there there was only two who didn't sin, our blessed Lord and his blessed mother. Even John the Baptist and St. Joseph uh, had original sin, all of that here. So, I mean, we. what if these priests who we, um, and bishops that we uh, question their motives and their actions have been given to us as a grace from God to pray for their conversion. I think that's awesome. I think that's truly remarkable, and we should pray for them, just like we pray for our family members and friends. You know, and and that leads me into thinking about the term obedience, because a lot of people will say, well, you need to be obedient to the church. You need to be obedient to your priest. You need to be obedient to your bishop. And I find that one of the most hated words in my vocabulary right now because it's being misconstrued and it's being abused. Obedience, when we are told to be obedient, it's to the office, it's to the magisterium, it's to the absolute truth of the teachings of our faith. As soon as a bishop, a priest, or a pope deviates from those truths, we don't need to be obedient to that part anymore. And that's something that I want people to understand is because how do you know how to be obedient? You really need to know your faith. It mm-hmm. requires study. You need to spend time in adoration and in prayer. You need to get your families on the same table as you are and study and know the faith. Because without it, you're just going to be blown in the wind. <laughs> and that's a great way to end our segment here in our show this afternoon um, is on that topic of obedience. That's going to come up in September on the 22nd when... Father Altman comes to town, and he's going to be accused of being disobedient to his priests, or to his bishop, rather. And you're going to learn quickly the nuance. It's, well, it's, it's not nuance. The, the black and white difference between obedience to doctrine and obedience to the man, the man in doing that. This is The Chatter on FM 98.3 KCRD. You've been listening to Colleen Pasnack, Janet Wagner. I'm Tom Oglesby, and we're going to end with the glory be. In the name of the Father, and the The Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Glory Glory be to to the the Father, and to the the Son, and to the the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it was in the beginning, beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. See you all next week.